everybody, and welcome to yet another edition of the Time Out with DG podcast. I am your host, as always, Daniel Gotera. Thanks for stopping by. It is episode 96 on this March 8th. It's been a while since I've talked to you. Last one was February 21st on President's Day, but uh, last week got a little crazy. My son got sick. Um, Not really sure what it was, but he missed school all week because of it. Boy, he had a fever that jumped up to about 102, 103. It wasn't COVID. As I've said on this podcast before, I think he had that before, and he passed it along to me, and then, you know, the whole ordeal happened with me. If you, if you don't know my COVID story, go back and listen to other podcasts. I would appreciate more downloads anyway, but um, hope you guys are doing well. Yeah, he's a lot better now, by the way, um, but he missed school all week, and I read that there's some something called type A flu that has been going around, and he may have caught that somehow. I don't know. I don't know where. Maybe he was at school, probably at school. Uh, Long story short, my wife, I think, got it. And so I'm uh, currently recording this in a plastic bubble so I don't get sick. No, I'm I'm kidding. I'm not recording this in a plastic bubble. But I am at the studio recording it in our audio booth. That's why the audio quality is a lot better on this version of the podcast. Rather than recording it in my closet... It is much better to record it in an audio booth. So uh, here I am. So that's why I haven't had an episode in a long time. Uh, So he was sick uh, last week, and then I've been shooting some high school basketball over the weekends and the last couple of weeks. So I've been kind of busy, haven't gotten around to it. Uh, I do have that Kellen Sampson interview coming up next Monday. I've teased it before. I talked to him a couple of weeks ago, so I might as well air that on Monday after Selection Sunday, which is coming up this week. I can't believe the NCAA tournament is here already. So that interview is coming up next week. Uh, And today, uh, my special guest is Tyler Campbell, the son of former Houston Oiler great Earl Campbell, the Hall of Famer, one of the greatest running backs of all time. Well, his son, Tyler who is my guest today, uh, has an incredible story of his own. He was a football player in high school, ran into some trouble with alcoholism, uh, got busted for underage drinking, um, then had to kind of reform his life after that, Uh, went to college, got back on his feet, went to college, got a scholarship to uh, San Diego State uh, University, but then was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, after he played a football game, he woke up feeling really, really bad, and he got the diagnosis of MS. So he's had to kind of fight through a couple of things in his life that have turned him into the guy he is today. An incredible story. He's got a new book out, uh, or he's got a book out that is called The Ball Came Out, Life from the Other Side of the Field. It's available on Amazon, one of the best-selling sports books on Amazon. So we've had him on Sports Extra, and I figured I'd have him onto the podcast to give a story of redemption, if you will, a story of perseverance. And uh, he's a public speaker now, uh, tours the country. He also does uh, some other things in his life. He's got three kids, has a family of his own. We talk about his dad. So that interview is coming up here in a little bit. But before we get into that, go ahead and like and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already. What are you waiting for? Uh, We've had some uh, solid numbers in 2022 so far, so I appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, I've had a couple of people come up to me just at events that I'm at. Hey, hey, man, I listen to your podcast. Thanks. It's good stuff. So, hey, 
The more people we can reach, the better. That's why I love having people on like Tyler Campbell to spread his message too. So I, I appreciate all the love out there for this podcast. I enjoy doing it. I wish I could do it on a more regular basis, but you know, life with two kids at home, I, I, I sometimes even struggle finding time for myself to do things. I haven't watched a movie in the theaters in a long time. People keep asking me too about the new Batman movie, if I'm going to go see that. Here's my take on the new Batman movie. I feel like we've had too many Batman movies. And I know if Tyler is going to be listening to this podcast, he's a big Batman guy, and we talk about that at the end of our interview. (laughs) I feel like we've had too many Batman movies, and the uh, MCU, the Marvel Universe, has spoiled me in the sense that all of their products are connected into one giant storyline. That's what I like. I like seeing stories connected, but now we have another Batman who's not really connected to the other movies we've seen in DC, so they're kind of all over the place, so... I don't know. I think I'll probably just wait till HBO Max to watch that one. Plus, I have no time to watch movies uh, with the two kids at home. My wife works the night schedule. It's crazy. So uh, I don't really have time to go to the movies these days unless it's a Marvel movie and I've planned it out two months in advance. So uh, that's where I'm at with that. Well, uh, what other news is going on before we get to the uh, interview? I guess the big one is still the lockout is ongoing, the uh, Major League Baseball lockout. Uh, still in full force. We uh, don't seem to be having... Baseball, we aren't going to be having baseball at least for the first couple of series unless uh, Major League Baseball and the uh, Players Union get their act together. The whole thing's really disappointing. Um, I place the blame on on both parties. I know a lot of people are blaming the owners. The owners are easy targets. They have a lot more money than the players. But, you know, the players, it's not like they're hurting for money either. And I know they're fighting for some other things as far as the – you know, some of the other things that go on with arbitration eligible time and contractual things. But when, when you're starting to argue about first-year player salaries going up from $650,000 or something like that to over $700,000, it's tough to sell your point to a country which just got over a pandemic and over the last year wages have decreased. Like, that's that's a tough sell. So we're talking about millionaires fighting over millions, and it's 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 getting in the way of America's pastime right now, and I think that's pretty disappointing. But the, other than that, I think we got the tournament coming up. Um, kind of a couple other things on the horizon. I know the NBA is still going on, but until the playoffs start, nobody really cares about that. And uh, what else? What else we got going on? Oh, the uh, USFL starts soon. Northwestern's own Clayton Thorson, the quarterback. He is uh, he's their uh, he's their new quarterback for the Houston Gamblers. So I'm excited to see him play. So kind of a hodgepodge of stuff that has happened since February 21st. I'll try to get into all those details in another episode. Maybe that uh, will come up. Uh, But without further ado, let's get into my interview with uh, Tyler Campbell. He is Earl Campbell's son. He's got a new book out. We talk about his book. We talk about his journey. He's got a great story, a story of perseverance, a story of... uh, motivating others to overcome odds that are presented to you in life. So here's Tyler. He's great, and I I wish nothing but the best for him and uh, his family because I really enjoy this conversation. I think you guys will too. Tyler, uh, good to talk to you again. I I spoke to you on Sports Extra about a week and a half ago, and that was awesome. Thanks for joining us for that. But uh, I guess let me ask you first, how you doing? Oh, man, I'm doing great, bro. Ain't nothing shaking but the limbs on the trees. You and I were talking earlier, man. I just... If our weather could cooperate with us, D, I think we might be doing a lot better, man. I had my shorts on yesterday. I got my pants on today. You know what I mean? I know, man. I'm one of those guys that if it gets below 55, <laughs> I am not productive. 
but D, how do you, okay, how does a Northwestern guy, you know, end up, how does that happen? Because that's, you know, that 20, oh, that's man. still good weather from that standpoint, you know? Yeah, you know? I, I think, yeah, you're right. You're right. I think I, uh, I think that broke me. I'm not going to lie. And then I lived here for about, well, when I got out of school, I got my a job back here in Texas because I grew up here. Yeah, you're right, right. In, in, uh, in Katy. And yeah. so then uh, when I got the job back in Texas, I realized, oh my gosh, how did I even do, how did I do what I did up there? That lake effect snow hitting you in the, I mean, that was brutal. Yeah, man. Cause you, you still got to go to Jewel and get your groceries from That's up that right. way. And, and it's well, snowing. Shout out to Jewel Osco. <laughs> Jewel Osco, man. <laughs> <laughs> now, but it was a good time, man. I, I love being at NU. It's just that weather is so bad. There was one day I woke up and I knew there was going to be a snowstorm. And uh, I would go out to the parking lot. I could not find my car. Like all oh, the cars were totally cars covered. It took covered. me about two and a half hours to get out of that parking lot. It was like, it's one of those moments where like, what are we doing? What hey, are we man, doing and here? people and people play sports in that weather up there. Like it's nobody's business. You know, we don't, we're not used to that. That's one thing I had to get used to playing college football. Like you, you forget, like you're going to a different climate and you have to literally adjust. Like there's a difference yeah. in playing ball in the snow and it seems like nobody else is cold, but you, the opposing team, they're all used to it. They're from what? They're from Illinois. They're from, they're from up North Ohio, all these other places. And you're just like, aren't y'all cold? And yeah. there are no sleeves, you know? <laughs> but you know what though? I mean, I've talked to other people too, that I think like if you get to a certain point, like a certain temperature, it doesn't matter if you get used to it. I mean, like it is still cold. Like it, it is still cold for everybody. I guess maybe it's just kind of handling a little bit better than others, but I, it, I can't imagine. And then, you know, in April, sometimes they play baseball. In the yeah. That's, yeah. I was about to swing. What I mean, about, not I was this say, year, probably. Yeah. But. <laughs> Spring sports are right there yeah. and they do it with no problem. D no problem. So uh, I guess, how do you, how would you sum up your life and journey to this point? Yeah, I think, I mean, for me, and if I could just choose one word, brother, it, it would really be blessed. Um, you know, being young, you don't fully understand, you know, um, obviously I know like having a hall of fame, you know, father and, you know, for example, I didn't get it. Like as a kid, both my parents were entrepreneurs. So like dream big and all that stuff, that was not only them telling you to do those things, but also like they lived those things you know, and, and, and actually did them, even my father, long after football was over, he was in the meat business, you know, as an entrepreneur, like betting the, the, the notion of betting on yourself and believe in yourself was always like that underwritten language that swirled around my, my household on the regular. Um, but then there's also this other side, right? For Lawrence Taylor to show up unannounced at your home, just to have some hamburgers, that was different. For Tony Dorsett to spend the night, you know, that was that was special, right? Um, for Eric Metcalf to come over and just kick it, you know, yeah. um, there was that that's that part of it. Um, but you know, it as a kid, you're not really knowing. Um, I was just blessed to come from like that two-parent home of parents who really and truly uh did, you know, care and love on their children and you're a parent now and you recognize like as a dad you know this but all you really want to do is is love on your kid you're oh not raising your, your child to be the next you know the next great Daniel Katera hosting I hope he's greater you, you know gotta, what I mean and it, gotta be better gotta yeah be better. 
you know, and, and, or, you know, and, and then being, if they're open to something new, you know? Um, so for me, if I just summed it up, brother, it is, it is blessed, but, but definitely exposed to a lot of different things that weren't people's normal childhood experiences. Oh yeah, um, for sure. So I want to <laughs> ask you about that. Like, when did you realize as a kid, as a kid growing up and like, you yeah. know, you're, you're a kid, you want to, you want to hang out with dad, right? You want to hang out with my, but like, when did, when did it kind of hit you who your dad really was and the impact that he had on so many people, not just them, but still to today. But like, when did, when did that moment happen for you? Yeah, for me, it was, um, the first initial moment was spending the night at a friend's house and um, their parents had VHS tapes from Howard Cosell and all the, you know, these other, these old films of dad playing. And they had recordings of them and they were the ones who showed me the most about my dad my father never showed me that I think my dad my dad used to have a football camp at Texas State University which was Southwest Texas back in the day and like Troy Aikman was there like Warren Moon was there this is when I'm like a young kid like you know my single digits and I didn't understand it then right it, but when you when I went and I was in like the second grade and I saw my dad on other people's TVs and they were like, your dad is this, your dad is that. And I remember that was the first time with, when my, my finally got home, I asked my dad, like, dad, you were a good football player, huh? And he was like, knowing dad just very models, like, man, I played the game the best way that I could. And I tried to be just like Jim Brown. And so as soon as I asked those questions, he automatically detours it right to Jim Brown. So then my next question, obviously, is not more about Earl Campbell It's well, who is Jim Brown? Yeah. And then it allows him to totally disregard himself. And he talks more about Jim Brown. So that's kind of who my my dad was. That's who he is, is, you know. Yeah. Are you thankful that he approached the situation in that way? Because, you know, there are fathers and especially yeah. prominent fathers in sports that will push their kids to do the same thing, be better. We see that now. Mm -hmm. uh, we've seen it throughout the years, but he took a different approach with you guys. Um, are you thankful that he did it that way? And he didn't really just, he didn't really, you know, shove football down your throat for a lack of a better term uh, in such a young age. I think so. Uh, simply for the fact that growing up in this state, do you know this? Like I was living in Westlake. Right. And so, I, you know, dad knew there's very much a football community. He knew that it was going to be the discussion and the pressure. That stuff was going to come automatically, regardless of being Earl Campbell's child or not, just because of the expectation of high school football within the state that we live in. And so I'm appreciative of the, the approach because I saw so many kids getting burned out and their parents did this in high school, played this in high school, won state championships in this other high school. And, and the kid never really loved the game. Mm -hmm. And I think to play the game, you have to love it in a certain way because you're going to get hit in the mouth and you got to figure out another alternative motive that keeps you getting back up that is different than just your parents wanting this. You know what I'm saying? Because it's yeah. it's a rough sport, even at the high school level. I mean, you're putting your body on the line. There has to be a greater love for what you're doing versus the pressure that's already cooking up in your own household because your parents are 
forcing you to to be out there yeah. you know because of what comes with it so in that sense i'm thankful because the pressure was coming regardless of which um even if I, he just didn't want it in the household no yeah. pressure at home you know could you sense that once you guys really started getting into it a little bit he he kind of perked up a little yes. bit more and then and then he was like okay well if they're into it then i'm i'm behind you 100 percent because i'm going to share everything that i've learned too i think my dad snapped another switch when my when my brother's first carry in the seventh grade went for 80 yards. <laughs> Boom. Like Christian was gone and we didn't know what to expect, right? You never know what your child is going to do until, you know, you get hit, right? And so that was my first time seeing dad like he's like, "Oh man, I I got something to work with here. You know, yeah. I got I got something, you know." And so when I got but when I got to high school, um sports were terrible for me in the beginning. Uh, my brother was extremely athletic. It was, it took me time. I really had to like work because they, those two, my dad and my brother, they were athletically gifted. I mean, Christian dunked basketball, like he could, whatever he chose to do, it was like, boom, rapid fire. Tyler was, was different. Um, but I learned the value of a work ethic. Yeah. I think my dad was very patient with me. Um, and then he didn't push me. He waited for me at a level of, of manhood to like ask for help. Right. I think that was another thing. Um, he wanted us to learn that it's OK to ask for help. But at the same time, you can't get the help if you don't ask for it. And that's kind of like good life lessons. Right. You if you, everybody needs help, but nobody will know if you don't ask, you know. Yeah. Um, and when I asked, I remember the first time I asked for help, really, uh, was my junior year in high school. And I thought I had a real good game. I was like, I'll ask dad on a good game, right? I just want a good game. And I remember him taking my film and just shredding it on the VH, like every, my steps. I think it literally took us an hour to get out of the first half. Wow. And, like wow. he was, cause it was That's everything. like a comeback to reality yeah. moment. I'm like, well, God, and for me, man, I thought I played really well. <laughs> yeah, and, and for me, you forget. And at this time, I understand, I think it really hurt my dad that he couldn't physically get out there and work with us. You know, that's the other thing that I also saw from him was that as we were getting to that level of high school, he really wanted to be involved, but physically just wasn't able to because of back surgery. I know that that crushed him. I know it crushed him for us not to be able to do some type of working out together, do the weight rooms, all that stuff, like, and coach up. He just wasn't able to, his body really. So I knew that that also hurt him um, tremendously. But when I, when I think that was, I was the only time I asked my dad to cut up my, I never asked him again in high school. <laughs> it was, it was so much in that one session that that lesson I literally kept with me for the rest of my life. Wow. And I could tell you the way that I watched film in college and what I saw was yeah. always totally different than even what my college coaches saw because and of that, dad's IQ and approach to the game, which yeah, nobody ever talks about. You. I was going to yeah. ask you about that. That I mean, his yeah. his physical abilities were out, were on display every time he hit the field. But it wasn't that just that that made him so good. I mean, it was his knowledge of the game. And boy, you got a firsthand experience, man, right dude, there. Awesome, bro. Like he could, because he can remember. You know, he would talk about D lineman stances and the benefit of a two point stance and taking your pre snap read in. I was. I was 15, 15 turning 16, all right? And because I was a year behind everybody. So I was a junior, uh, but I was 15 turning 16. And his whole, 
I remember when Joe Green was doing this. I remember when we played Lawrence Taylor in the Super Bowl, Superdome when I was with the Saints and the lineups, the spreading of the feet and what you're supposed to do and how you know cover two. All that stuff, Earl Campbell, nobody ever talks about. It's always the punishing style. But the pre-snap read stuff that he started giving me in high school, that stuff was like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And and the stuff that he gave me outside and blitz pickup, because his whole thing was like, you're not a running back if you can't protect the quarterback. Mm. And so I was a terrible, <laughs> terrible blocker. And so he used to eat, he ate me a lot. And that's why by the time we got to the end of the game, I think I had like close to 200 yards, but it felt like I hadn't done anything, bro. Right. Like <laughs> it was, but anyway, that was him. I think a lot of that is what people don't talk about. Um, who he doesn't get a chance to talk about is his ability to see defenses and his ability to, to see the running holes and the lanes. Everybody just sees the powerhouse. That's what I thought. Right, but there right. was more to him that Bum um, and that Coach Royal um, mm-hmm. had instilled his running back coach at Houston, Andy Bourgeois. There were those other intangibles of the game that he also knew very, very well. But, you know, it's, it's about the running, the running style and breaking tackles for people. You know, he's um, – I'll have one more question about your dad, and then I'm going to get oh, to your, fine, your particular man. journey. No, well, I mean, it's, it's – <laughs> uh, I, I always wonder, right, if you're if you're a son of, of a Hall of Famer or such a prominent uh, sports mm-hmm. figure, I mean, like, do you ever get tired of answering questions? I, obviously, you don't, but I, I, that, that's, that's a question that does come up, too. Do like, you ever get tired of talking about your dad? So I always remember my father talking about – how he didn't have his dad for very long. And I always remember him talking about the games in high school, UT, even in the, in, in the Oilers, you know, you come in after a great win, a great game, and he just wished his dad was like there because other people's dads were there, you know, um, and his never was. Yeah. And he always just like would have the hope that his father was watching him from heaven. But he, he yearned for just like that father's like great game, son, you know, that type of deal that he never got. And so, um, you know, for me, I don't get tired of it because I've heard and seen somebody who never had that presence of a father, period. Yeah. And how even in their older age, there was still that wish to have that, you know what I'm saying? So sure. I think I saw amidst of the, the brokenness and the, the stuff that where memories were created and his biggest thing he'll tell you is like, my, I wish my dad could have seen that. Mm-hmm. You know, I wish my dad could have seen Monday night football. I wish my dad could have seen Isaiah Robinson induction to the hall of fame. And so for me, like seeing that close up, uh, my approach is totally different. I don't know what it is for my brother, but I am very proud you know, to talk about my dad, you know what I'm saying? Because yeah, sure, uh, sure. I just hear him talk about how he wished his was around. Right, right. he wasn't, yeah. So what is your, what What are you thinking, you know, he, anywhere your dad goes. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, he is, he's a legend, right? He's a living legend for a lot of sports <laughs> fans. No, yeah. It's true. I mean, he is, no. I mean, I saw, I mean, I have a picture. Uh, one of my, my favorite sports pictures of all time is uh, of him, and Walter Payton. I knew it. Yeah, that's the sweetness, the man. Yeah. yeah. Coming out the field. I have it in my yeah. house. I need to get your dad to sign that picture at some yeah. point. It's one uh, of the best ones it. ever, man. Uh, Soldier Field. At Soldier Field. Field right. It's a beautiful picture and it's colorized in the way like they're both in, in color with their uniforms and all stand. It's a beautiful picture. I love yeah. it. Um, 
when you see the reaction of people that they have to your dad, you know, I'm obviously in another level, but what, what, mm. what, what do you think about just the impact that he's had on so many lives it's, across, it's the, across, across the country? Is greater than I would have ever imagined, you know, cause I, I still don't think I understand the magnitude only because he never really talks about it. You know what I mean? He never, yeah. he just never, he just, even to this day. And I, and I don't, I think it's the humility aspect of it. I think it's because he had 10 other brothers and sisters, mm. you know, and so many, you know, he talks about how his older brothers were greater athletes. They just weren't, they came at, at a time when um, segregation was there uh-huh. and, and they didn't get enough, enough of the waves. He, he'll tell you his oldest brother, Willie, was by far the greatest and most aggressive um, of any other camel. My dad's not the biggest one either. You know what I mean? Um, so for me, um, it's it's still jaw dropping. For me to see Barry Sanders hug and embrace my dad and say, man, big fella, how you doing? It's so great to see you. Uh, to, to hear those words. My life changed in Cleveland when I saw Jim Brown tell all these other people how highly he thought of my father Mm -hmm. and understand that I was always instructed that that was the greatest football player that ever lived was Jim Brown. I mean, dad, dad made sure that he came second, not even sniffing the same shoes as the legendary Jim Brown. And so for me to sit back and hear Jim talk like that. Yeah. It's pretty special. You know, um, I'll never forget, um, Bill Parcells, I believe, was coaching at Texas Tech University when my dad was in school on oh. the D. And, and so, and he told me, he was like, your dad, your dad was just unbelievable. We could, there was nothing that you could do <laughs> to try to tackle him. And he was like, my, my, my players on D were so dejected <laughs> to try to tackle. We couldn't even get guys who wanted to just tackle not make the right gaps, not make the right, right reads. He was like, after the first half, they did not want to tackle. I was like, no, I don't want any of that. No. <laughs> and then That's Barry crazy. Switzer, I remember talking to Barry, and he literally said, your dad could have went to the NFL. He was ready from high school. Wow. Like that's, you know, that's on another, that's on another like playing field of physicality and physical capability mm-hmm. to me as somebody who played football. Like that's, you know, there's just some stuff that that he had that was just God gifted, you yeah. know, um, that wasn't what your normal, you know, stuff. So, um, man, I to me, he's he's he still will always be my hero, you know, like the Incredible Hulk mm-hmm. long before Lou Ferrigno. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's right. So that's yeah. cool. That's, that's great to hear you talk about him that way. And it's just it's just a, it's such a cool perspective because you hear yeah. fans talk about him. And yeah. like, oh man, he made this great play on Monday night. He ran over a couple guys. And this is great. Yeah. But that's not, that's, that's, you know, as a person to hear you talk about that is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, now for you, yeah. you were carving out your own path. You, you saw yourself short. You were still a great athlete. I know maybe it took you a little longer to get yeah. to where yeah. you wanted to, but you were still great. You got, you carved out your own path in high school. You were a highly touted uh, recruit, Matt, you know, you were on all the recruiting mm-hmm. boards and then, and then reality kind of hit you a little bit. So mm-hmm. what was that like for you to climb, 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 and then get brought back a little bit? Um, you hear people, like you hear people talk about like 
life is going to deal you things and you're going to have to learn to rebound from them. And it's not necessarily the people who are the smartest or who are the most brilliant who become the most successful. It's honestly the people who just choose not to quit. And I'll never forget my, my dad telling me, you say, son, if you never quit, you can never lose. And I used to think about that as like, never quit. I guess not, because you never really give up. So if you give up, then you do lose or you always want. And so I that was the greatest grace for me was getting knocked down by life. I told like I wasn't the best athlete starting as opposed to my brother and Christian and understand the pedigree that I'm measuring it from, right? Okay, my, my brother's second in the state at 200 meters as a sophomore. Earl Campbell is this. So I'm measuring it against yeah. some very- Only natural. <laughs> very yeah. tall, talented people. Yeah. But because I never measured up to that and the way I thought people viewed me because I wasn't following in those same footsteps, I probably placed more pressure on myself. I know I did than what was really actually there. And it certainly didn't come from my family. Um, but, it, but it may have came from, you know, classmates, people sure. at school with. Um, so when I did make varsity as a sophomore and I did end up starting as a, my junior year when I was 15, um, and you start getting your mail. I see the Northwestern helmets because I remember getting mail from Northwestern. That was wow. a big deal for me because yeah. Darnell Autry, was at the Heisman when I went with my dad. And wow. it was like, it was crazy because nobody really knew about, you know, Northwestern, this guy, but he put up some amazing numbers when he was at college at Northwestern. Oh yeah, he right? finished so fourth remember, in the Heisman. He yeah. finished fourth in the Heisman voting that year. And Darnell's a great guy, by the way. He is really, really, really good dude. He just had a kid. <laughs> so say, yeah, we got, I, I, met, I, I met him. I did a documentary on him, not to, yeah, no, you're here, fine. But, uh, I did a documentary on, on him and that 95 team that went to the Rose Bowl. Yeah, and so we became friends after that. I ran into him when they went to the NCAA tournament. We hung out, drank a little bit. So he's a good dude. And I'm so I'm, I'm so happy that you mentioned his name. Yeah. That is really cool. That's cool. Yeah, man. Because so those are like events, right? You get to go to the house. I'll never forget that. And just being like, you could tell he was very excited to be there. You could tell the College of Northwestern was 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 there and so when i got a letter in the mail from northwestern um other people in the locker room were like northwest i was like bro but you don't just understand what i saw in my childhood yeah and you don't understand how things come full circle so every letter that i received it meant so much because i wasn't looked at at that point Mm -hmm. and then the mail started happening and i think it it became um i wasn't used to being to getting so much attention. People were literally, scouts were calling, um, people were knowing, Texas top 100 juniors had come out, right? Um, You knew about Adrian Peterson. You knew how much of a phenomenon that was. I knew it even more so because he's from East Texas. My family had been talking about that guy for I don't know how long. (laughs) And and to know that Ramon Taylor was the number one all-purpose back, in the state adrian was the number one running back in the state and tyler campbell in that junior class was the number two running back in the state and when i saw that it was like oh we never talked for a junior in high school to handle and we never 
we never talked about the recruit. Like dad was just like, you know, when it comes, you don't start working hard. You stay humble. You give all regards to your teammates and your coaches, and you got to keep focused and doing what you're doing. Yeah. And he said that. But for me, when somebody actually noticed my stuff, <laughs> when handwritten letters were coming, when phone calls were coming, it was like, whoa. And I'll never forget going when I was 16 years old. I told my mom, my dad, you'll never have to pay for school for me. I'm going to get a scholarship. Mm-hmm. Like, D, do you know, like, that's a big deal to have a child who's 16 and they can come to you and say, mom, oh. dad, don't worry about school. That would, you know? that's, that's huge. That makes you, you feel know? good. Yeah, it made, yeah. it made me feel good. And then at the same time, it made me make start making irrational decisions mm-hmm. because I knew the future was taken care of, or so I thought, um, which led to the alcoholism, which led to bad decision making, which led to me getting busted at Austin High High School for underage drinking, mm-hmm. which totally changed um, me and a shift in my recruiting process a wake up to manhood and reality of your decisions not only affect you, they affect your entire family and your future and even the people who are your friends. Um, Getting caught at the basketball game, underage, I was a minor, I consumed alcohol um, and I was on a school campus, Mm. bad decisions. Um, And I was sent to the alternative education system. I did not finish my junior year at Westlake High School. Amongst amongst the school, I, I was was sent to the alternative system. And my dad made me call every single college coach who recruited me, whether they offer me a scholarship or not. And I had to explain to them what I had done. If they didn't pick up, I had to leave them a voicemail. And he told me, I want to raise a young man of good character because your character will outlast your athletic capability any day of the week. Mm. And that was like a really Every calling coaches and explaining to them over and over again, all these phone calls, telling them what I had done. Um, I remember leaving a message to Georgia Tech University. And I remember, I think I said it, I was, before I got off the phone, I remember leaving the message for the coach and I said, oh my God, what am I doing? And I paused and I was like, oh, and I hung up the phone. Like I literally, it was doing something that you couldn't, it, it felt like I was speaking my future away. Yeah. Yeah. over and over again that's that's what it felt like yeah. how dis how disappointed was your dad at that point was he disappointed in what do you, I, like what was his approach at that point or your parents i mean not yeah. your dad, but your parents my, my mother you know i understood what i was walking into right my, my parents are first generation college students both my mom my dad my mom went to u of h my dad went to ut um I understand very much that I'm coming from a very special household, mm-hmm. you know, even as opposed to my cousins, as opposed to just people, you know, you know, people from church, I know I've been very, very blessed. Like I know I, I you know, clothes, you know, I had food, had a home roof on like beyond blessed and lot largely I understood why my, my parents worked extremely hard. My dad's whole motive for football was getting out of rose fields and not working sharecropper land, Mm. like not waking up to pick cotton or to pick roses or whatever was in season. You know what I'm saying? Like never, I don't want that for my kids. And so he got that. And, and your child, I understood from his perspective, it's like, man, your child, you worked so incredibly hard 
to bring grace and love and all these amazing things to the Campbell name. Yeah. And you never got in trouble, but now here's your child. And your child's getting in trouble. And so my mom was like crying. I, you know, I've never seen my mother cry the same way I did when I was 16. Mm. You know, um, my dad was just so hurt because, you know, he was like, you know, I know we have we have alcoholism in our family, you know, and just all these things are what could potentially be and not knowing if your does your child have what you put in them to rebound and get back up. Like it was that moment where he knew, like, I can't do this for him, but I hope he can do it for himself type of deal. Yeah. As a parent, like he knew what he wanted me to do disciplinary wise, but I could tell for him it's like but my hands are tied now because this is your life. You have to decide. And all I can do is hope you make the right decision. You know, that's, that's what I got from my, my father. I think my mama wanted to wring my neck every day. <laughs> I think my dad was like, you know, he's a father son type of deal, like the love. But I think my mama was, my mama was trying to come for my head every day. Oh, yeah. but, um, I was introduced to a book called the purpose driven life by Rick Warren. Um, my mama gave it to me uh, when I was in the alternative system and uh I read that book and it um it took my parents didn't have to say anything more to me mm. um it helped me to understand football or not like I have meaning here yeah you know I'm, I'm supposed to do something that's bigger than me and um I've screwed up yes I've embarrassed yes but there's some good stuff down the road somewhere for sure. But if I lay here, um, I'm not going to get to that. And that's kind of what I kept, what I kept thinking. And I kept thinking like, I got to show my teammates. I have to show my teachers. Um, I was one of a few African-Americans at Westlake high school. So it also popped up in my head, not to say that this would be true, but it was like, if you don't get it together, Tyler, what about that young black kid? Yeah. male or female that's going to come up after you to Westlake High School that you'll never meet. Mm -hmm. um, what example, what precedent will you set for that child? Also, the, the, the mindset or beliefs that people could potentially have that are teachers that are within the community. Everybody in the yeah. community, you know, I got busted. It wasn't a secret. No. You know, everybody, everybody knew I got in trouble. So um, can you rebound, get yourself right so that a label isn't put on other kids that come through yeah. Westlake. So, you know, just begin to like really understand the magnitude of my actions. And um, I got it. You, you know, did. You bounced back. It. You bounced back. You got uh, a scholarship, right? To yeah. San Diego State. You played yeah. there. And um, honestly, what you went through in high school probably helped yeah. you with your next hurdle when you were diagnosed with MS. Yeah, and that's, that's so people always ask, why do you approach MS the way that you do? And I said, well, my life has been preparation for MS all along, I felt. Like going through the hurdles of losing scholarships and going to a junior college and embarrassing family and learning to find motivation or excuse me, inspiration within yourself to yeah. climb hurdles. Those are the things as to why I handle multiple sclerosis the way that I do now, you know, and a lot of times you don't get to tell everybody that because they don't they don't have time enough to hear your story. But it's like um, the man up above was prepping me the whole time 
for what I was going to get ready to walk into with MS. And it came not without warning. <laughs> it literally yeah. came. We play BYU last game of junior season. You wake up the next morning. You can't talk. You can't walk. You are paralyzed on the right side of your body. Um, you don't have a concussion. You're, you, you remember everything about the game. Wow. So you are thinking automatically something is extremely wrong and you're terrified. That's, that's how MS hit me. It wasn't a gradual thing. It was literally, we, we played BYU, wake up the next day, think you're going to head to the training room just for some ice, some STEM work and get up out of there. And I woke up and I couldn't walk and I couldn't talk. And so that, that was, if the man above didn't put that stuff in me of, of not, uh, not being necessarily the best athlete, having to work for it. Mm-hmm. getting in trouble, having to work back to try to get a scholarship to come out of a junior college to get there. Those are the things that were helping or his way of making sure that I would be ready when multiple sclerosis came knocking. Yeah. So at that point, when you were diagnosed, yeah. um, not just the initial reaction, but you, you knew that you were going to play Yes. Like this was not, this was not going to be one of those things that, well, uh, these are the cards I've been dealt and uh, I think I'm going to hang it up. No, no. I feel like after hearing your story, you're like, no, I'm going to play. That was the, that was the only question I had. You know, I didn't, I didn't understand the magnitude of multiple sclerosis. I didn't know it. I knew Montel Williams had it. That was like another black male who had the disease. I, it was never that. I think as an athlete, it's always about, okay, tell me what it is that I have to do to keep this thing going. For me, commitment is huge. I made a commitment. I signed a letter of intent to a university, to those other guys on the team, uh, blood, sweat, and tears. There's no, like, there, it wasn't even a thought process. And I think the doctor, it surprised my doctor a little bit because what well, was a first for her? You know, she had never, she, she never treated a black male before and, and I was an athlete. So it, there was no, like criteria to see how my diagnosis was going to lead. There was, there was no sample size. And for me, it was like, okay, what do we do with this thing? Tell me the medications I have to take. Tell me what I have to do. Um, because after finals, we got spring ball that I'm going to be training for. Right. And I, you know what I'm saying? It was, it was never that. And so I asked her if I could play and she said, I had no sample size to go after. If you have a relapse again, you can't, we'll take the game of football away from you forever. Cause you're going to spend the rest of your life in a wheelchair. So I, that was a gamble. That was my gamble. She said, rest of life in wheelchair. And I said, okay, I'm playing football. Like yeah. it wasn't even, wasn't even a question. I never told my coaches. I'm sure I know the trainers knew. I know people had to be informed because I went to La Jolla Memorial hospital to get my diagnosis. I wasn't diagnosed through the team doctor or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So I know they contacted, but I never, I never went to my coaches and said, I have multiple sclerosis. I didn't want the attention already because look who my dad is. The last thing I want is to just, I just wanted to play football and be free and be there for my teammates, you know? And, and also I was going to be a captain my senior year. I'd been on, I'd been on the leadership council every year at my time at SDSU. So it was was only right. I'm going to be captain. Mm -hmm. So if I'm a captain, if I quote unquote, I'm a leader, then I have to be there to lead. And I have to show, how can I tell people not to give up and not to quit if I did that, even living with multiple sclerosis? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, so none of that, it didn't even fall into the equation. And I didn't understand it was a big deal. 
It wasn't that. It was just that I didn't live in the transfer portal era. <laughs> so yeah. I made a commitment to a four-year yeah. institution and I'm supposed to get my degree and I'm supposed to play ball so that somebody else has a scholarship after I'm gone. Point blank. Yeah. What was their reaction afterwards when you told them? Um, so I never, so here's the deal. Oh, how did that story go? Yeah. I, I yeah. It was, um, I think to this day, people are still shocked mm-hmm. because I really, you know, for me, football was like TC. I was very introverted. Like I do my work. I'm there for you. I'll support you. Whatever you need. I got you. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm just a teammate. Um, you know, and so I never still like called people and just my roommate had to know because he discovered me on the floor the next day after, after oh, BYU. Okay. Yeah. So he, he had to know, but I swore Matt to secrecy. I was like, man, oh, you can't, wow. don't tell nobody. I waited to give my injections just to give myself these shots. I would wait till everybody left the locker room after practice. I would come back after, after eating, come back to the locker room, make sure nobody was there. And I give my shots, either my abdomen, my hips, my legs, and then, or I would do them at home. And, wow. and take the take the needles, you know, you can drop them off at CVS, you know, and, and yeah. they'll dispose of them. Very secretive. I just didn't know my biggest way of handling mess was the wrong way was just keep working and don't let anybody else see. Mm-hmm. So I never learned how to like open up about my disease to other people. And so um, it was just it was it was it was the hardest thing I've ever had to do was play football with MS. Oh, I bet. Um, it was a hard thing to say, move your left foot, move your right foot. And there's like a delayed reaction or to like run. And you know, you're not as fast or when they're calling plays and fast pace, you know, huddle, um, you're looking to the sideline and like, you know, the play, but when they're signaling it, it's like, cause you suffer from brain fog and memory issues. It's like, I know the play, but I'm not like getting it. Oh, man, like, it, it so was like, frustrating. It's yeah, gotta be, yeah, man, it's gotta be. Yeah, because because that's never happened before. Right. That's not. You can get the play from the sideline. Like it just. Um. But I never. No, nah, D. I never. I don't. Even now, they're only discovering it now because of a book or because they've seen me. Because I, you know, since I was 21, became a multiple sclerosis ambassador. So never really had just conversations with with teammates. Like, yeah, then that's is more so they're finding it out on their own. Crazy. Um, so, I mean, it's, yeah. so what, what do they say? Like, what do they say? They're saying like, so I'll never forget. I had a, um, going out of my junior year, I ended up finishing that year. And I, I think I power cleaned something crazy. It's like 385 or something like that. Three, three, it was something 375, 385, whatever. And they're like, so you mean to tell me you, you were power cleaning <laughs> with, with multiple not understanding the full functioning of your right side and i said yeah so when so their questions are like so when you were doing two a days because i would do two days on my own in the summer i'd work out in the morning with the a.m group i come back again and work out in the afternoon group because you have different weight lifting groups right so my approach to ms was literally tunnel vision man like that's like and i wasn't moving as fast i wasn't as strong as i could be and so Mm -hmm. my approach to it was work harder yeah that's not how you're supposed to do it but so guys are like piecing the years together. Like, so when you were pulling the tire after practice, you had MS then? It's like, yeah. And I was doing it to get better, but also because I wasn't, my muscles, like my, my quick twitch, it wasn't yeah. there. I thought I could work my way out of it. 
but it was a brain, a neurological thing. There was nothing I could do work-wise to help it. So they're, they're, they're backtracking and piecing, right? Of yeah, yeah. And it's, yeah, I had it then. Did you have it even? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I had it then. So what's so life like for you now with it? So with, with the disease, it's, uh, it's, 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 I've learned over the decades, right? Over the 14, 15 years, however long it's been, mm-hmm. how to handle it. Um, it's still hard for me to sit down, D. Really? It's the hardest, it's hardest thing for me to surrender myself and to say I'm tired. Mm. But I think that's a combination of being a former athlete, also just somebody who still hates to come to terms with the fact that you have this. Um, so, you know, having to go through therapy, having the love of my wife, you know, kids, you know, I was told that it would be difficult to have, be able to have children. Like people were literally, you know, the doctors have to prepare you, you know, it might be a lonely road with MS, you know, it yeah. might be. And so to know that I have a family, you know, I have a wife and kids, people who love me for me, it's like one of the greatest blessings, you know, I could have ever, ever fathomed. So you're um, living proof that it's not a lonely journey. There right. Yeah. Right. And that's, I think that's more of the approach that you want more people to know of with MS is that there are like family is possible because early on in your diagnosis, if you're not married, then it's kind of one of the things that you have to be honest and let people know, Hey, you know, it's not the easiest to, you know, not everybody wants to sign up, you know, they have to have those conversations. <laughs> and so um, like having that is, is special. I, my, everything that I am, the, it evolves around my family. And I just try, I try to advocate with my voice to help those with MS, but more importantly, also to help just be an, an inspiration to, to anybody, because I think we all have been through a lot of stuff in our lives, but sometimes we move so forward in this, in this country, we, we forget to look back, you know, yeah. over the stuff. And so that's kind of my approach, man. I, I just, I think about where I've been and how far along I've come and what I have, um, I'm increasingly thankful. And those are the things that help me to keep pushing forward. The disease sucks, but I got to keep pushing. Yeah. Uh, and you are, you are on the speaking tour. You're on the speaking circuit. You go to universities, you talk, look, we're talking now. You're a best-selling author, man. Yeah. Dude, we're all trying to catch up to you, brother. I, just, hey, I, I want you to know that. So now how about, That's awesome. let's talk about this book. Yeah, because this uh, your your book, and I want to make sure I get the title right. Yeah, uh, it's the the ball came out live from the other side of the field. Yeah, uh, during our conversation on Sports Extra, you said you were number three in the football biography uh, yeah. on Amazon. So this is all surreal, right? I mean, we all Ooh. think about one day about oh, it'd be kind of cool to write a book. It'd be kind of fun to write a book about our life. You did it, and it's successful. And so kudos to you. That's awesome. Yeah, man. I um. As somebody who grew up like loving comic books and DC comics and like J.R. Tolkien's brilliant mind and C.S. Lewis's imagination, um, to write a book means a lot, like a lot, a lot for me as somebody who was like books were an escape. Mm -hmm. You know, they were a, a, a tremendous fairy tale for me. I was a nerd book loving kid long before I became a good athlete, you know, um, so books the book means a lot to me. Um, it's something that I know I can always pass down to my children. If they ever want to know who their dad was, if the Lord takes me away from this earth early for whatever reason, I know I left my children a book. 
and they can learn everything about their dad from that book. Um, to me, that's like the greatest feeling in the world. Now, it just so happens to be a joy that when you put your heart on paper, that other people other people yeah. enjoy your work. I think that's just the bonus of, of it. I I wrote the book for me um, therapeutically to free, you know, my 12 year old self yeah. finally at the age of 35. I mean, that's that's really who I wrote, wrote the book for. Was it hard um, to write the book? It was it was tough to relive um, hurts and pains. Um, it also was a joy. You know, the journey is also there are some great things that happen on life's journey, too. You know, it's not all bad. And so it's also great to relive those things. But there were some tears that were reshed again. There were conversations that I had to have with my mom and my dad about what I really felt because I never really opened up to people. Yeah. That's why the MS diagnosis went the way it did, because I just I wasn't accustomed to opening up to anybody about it. And, and so I'm 35 now. I've got three kids. I can't I, I can't let them think that that's OK. I don't want that to be a trait that I can pass down. And and then without really tapping into my heart and revealing it, my family was the one who was suffering the most because I'm not giving my kids the full heart that I have because I'm holding some of it back. So it's just a joy. It's real surreal D, to know that people like your words. Like I think Eminem even said it in one of his songs, I think till I collapse. I mean, he was like talking about how it's one of the realest feelings you can get when people are feeling your stuff, you know, it's, yeah. and that's really what I, it's like, you put words on paper, you don't know how people are going to react it. It just so happens. They like it. That's yeah. really special. It's really special. That's awesome. I'm, yeah, well, I'm, I'm happy for you. Uh, uh, you said you're a DC guy. Yes. I'm a always Marvel guy. I'm Marvel myself. So I, because I'm a nerd. I'm Batman's also a nerd. my guy. Hey, Batman was my, he's my, he's, he's Bruce Wayne, man. He's yeah. got the money. He's got the, he could be who he wanted to be. Yeah. Love Bruce. Did you see the new movie? So I haven't seen it yet okay. because I, I have to go by myself. I know my son, he's eight. He's not seems ready like it, yet. It seems like it's a little intense. Exactly. That's why I have to go by myself and to go by yeah. yourself with three kids, D, nah. you got to like carve out some, some real special time and approval from your wife. Oh yeah, for sure. Funny like story. Hours. Yeah, Funny story. You appreciate this because I'm a huge Marvel MCU guy. Captain uh -huh. America is my, yeah. my favorite. Um, okay. So she knows my wife knows I'll, I'll ask her about like random days throughout uh -huh. the year like um hey what are you doing on thursday march whatever she goes why i said why not i'm just i'm just curious and uh she goes are you gonna see another marvel movie that the night before it all and i was like uh correct yes that, that's it i i don't ask for many days but uh, I just need like three uh, on the year. And so she, now it's a big running joke. Hey, my wife knows that I got to have my, my imagination stuff. Cause she can't understand at all why I'm into it. Like she doesn't get it. You know, like, like even when, when I told her, I was like, no disrespect, but I was trying to get people on Black Panther like a long, long time ago, but nobody ever wanted to listen to my little stories. Yeah. And but then when the Hulk and the Avengers started to come out and Iron Man started to come out when I was in college, all of a sudden it was cool to talk about comics. But I was bummed because it's like I've been reading this I've been stuff. here. I've been yeah. here the whole time. <laughs> I've been here the whole time and nobody cared. Now it's OK. Oh, you know, wow. now now it's OK. Tyler, it was uh, it was a joy to talk to you. I uh, I wish you continued success, and I think it's awesome. I know I'm sure your dad is very proud of you. 
just like you're proud of him i'm sure he's very proud of you so this is awesome hey thanks a lot brother and best to your family and it's a pleasure man keep rooting for those northwestern guys oh gosh it's it's hard i I know know a lot of you it it is difficult sometimes but every now and then we pop off a good season so uh but hey man it was great talking to you brother pleasure brother thank you very much tyler appreciate it i need to go out and get his book um, I need to order it off Amazon because I'm, I'm really anxious to read it uh, because judging off of that conversation, I'm sure the book is even better because he dives into all sorts of topics. So go out and check out his book. Keep listening to this podcast. I will have another interview hopefully later on this week. And until I talk to you guys again, have a good one. Enjoy this roller coaster weather that we're having. I hate it. Let's let it be hot now. I'm good with hot weather. Let's go 75 and up the rest of the year until we get to November at least. That's what I want. So enjoy the week. Until I talk to you next time, see you later.